Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. This is part of our Craft Talk Friday edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast. We're running in November, December 2021, in which we're releasing earlier Patreon episodes, Craft Talks that I've had with uh, experienced authors. Now you may ask, what's Patreon? Well, Patreon is a place where supporters of the podcast for a few dollars a month uh, can help us help authors give voice to their written words. And in return, we provide exclusive content. There are over 100 uh, exclusive episodes available at our Patreon channel. That's patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. But for these Fridays in November, December of 2021, we're going to be providing some of our early Patreon episodes to our general listening public. Before I introduce today's author or guest, uh, just a quick reminder that you can find out everything you need to know about Charlotte Readers Podcast at our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find our show notes there. You can find uh, all the episodes uh, that we've released. Uh, you can also find our community blog and a way to sign up for the book report, which we send out to you every two weeks with information about the podcast, good books, uh, doses of inspiration, that kind of thing. And uh, hey, we don't spam you because that takes way too much time. I've got one more plug, and it's a shameless one at that. This episode is also brought to you by my own books. You can find out more about my books at LandisWade.com. We've got information there about my Christmas courtroom trilogy, the individual books, and we've also bound them together in one ebook collection if you like ebooks. My next novel, titled Deadly Declarations, is coming out next year. In the first quarter of 2022, it's a mystery. We got information about that on the website as well, landisway.com. It involves the controversial and long-missing Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence. A man dies while he's writing a book about the Mech Deck, and when they find his body, the manuscript is missing. But that's enough preamble for today. I want to thank you for spending your valuable time with us. We really appreciate it. And now, let's meet the author and listen to the episode. My guest in this episode is Carrie Knowles, an award-winning author. We talk about uh, 10 of her 19 tips on how to write stories from start to finish, drawing on her book published by Al Canyon Press, a self-guided workbook, and... A Gentle Tour on Learning How to Write Stories from Start to Finish. Carrie Knowles has published five novels, Lillian's Garden, A Sean's Rug, A Garden Wall in Province, The Inevitable Past, and A Musical Affair. She's also published a collection of short stories, Black Tie Optional, and the book we're going to be talking about today, A Self-Guided Workbook and A Gentle Tour on Learning How to Write Stories from Start to Finish. Her latest book, Shifting Forward, is a collection of the first 50 essays published in her Psychology Today column, Shifting Forward, A Wanderer's Musings. This will be published by Al Canyon Press in May of 2022. Carrie has received a number of awards. She was the North Carolina Piedmont Laureate for Short Fiction in 2014, and she's a very talented writer. So with that, let's jump into the episode. Yeah. So how long have you been thinking about writing um, a writing book? Because that's a daunting task, to, I think, to undertake. It, it is. Um, I've done a lot of teaching, mostly before the Piedmont Laureate. It was usually on a college level. Occasionally I would lecture at a high school, but mostly there were community colleges. And and uh, many years ago, I uh, I had never thought about writing a writing workbook. And I taught at Wake Tech, which was just the most wonderful experience. I mean, the students were so passionate and so wonderful. And I had a particularly good class one semester. And at the end of the class, um, 
it, the class got very quiet. And then um, one person stood up and came to the front of the room and the class had gotten together and it was a big class. There were like 25 people in it, um, came to the front of the room and handed me a pile of papers and said, we got together and we pooled all of our lecture notes and please write a book. And I was overwhelmed. I mean, I was just like, oh, my gosh. Um, and, and I thought that was so lovely. And, of course, many years passed. And I had this stack of my own lecture notes. And um, just looking at them, I thought, oh, this would be, hmm. I, you know, I have, I have bigger fish to fry. I have right. to make a living as a writer or whatever. And then I became the Piedmont Laureate in, in 2014, which you just mentioned. And what an experience that was. I mean, it was just Amazing. I did 40 workshops in 10 months, traveled all over and put 3000 miles on my car. And every one of my writing workshops was packed. And I had people who were 16 years of age to 90. But the thing was that I was so struck by and, and I had to kind of step back and revamp how I thought about teaching writing, completely how I thought about teaching writing, because this was not a college audience. These were people who were just passionate. They wanted to write. And some of them had not gone to college. Uh, many of them had not gone to college. I had a, a, quite a few people who had gone to college, but they were engineers or lawyers or doctors or nurses who hadn't taken English classes. And they wanted, it was like, they wanted me in one hour to fill that gap for them. <laughs> you know, it was like, yeah. teach me. Do yeah, this. Yeah. I just give, one just, hour. Just, just do give, it. Just give me the tricks. Just, <laughs> just give me, give the, me the tricks. You know, tell gonna... <laughs> me quick things. So from that, I started, I, I had to, as the, the laureate, I had to write a, a blog post. And I decided that that's what I would do is each, you know, couple of weeks, I would try to think of a way to take these writing concepts and bring them down to a level where anybody could pick up this book and um and do this and uh you know that was 2014 and it really took me the six years between then and now to to really get it so I thought somebody could do this and I have to say my publisher um Owl Canyon Press did a spectacular job of conceiving, working with me, and they, they were wonderful. I mean, it was, I kind of see it as a joint effort. Uh, the designer, Kathy Boland, was fabulous, and she kept on saying, What if we could do this? What if we could do that? And the idea of putting the lines in and, and yeah. giving space in the book where people could actually take notes uh, that came from Kathy. And I thought, Wow, that's great. So, anyway. It was yeah. a long time coming. Yeah. Al Canyon, in the meantime, Al Canyon Press has been publishing some of your other works, right? They You've have. had several books come out. You want to tell us a little bit about uh, what they've published uh, for you? Um, they first published a novella, and they were surprised that they published it because they kept on saying, they called me three different times, and they said, oh, we love this book, but we're going to lose our shirt. Nobody, nobody publishes novellas, and it's a love story novella, and there's no sex in it, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, I said, yeah. this is a loser. This is a loser for us. And I said, well, but they said, oh, it's beautiful. We love it. We love it. But we just can't. We can't, can't lose our shirt yeah. again. And uh, I said, well, I understand. It's not a problem. And um, then two weeks later, the, you know, the, the publisher calls me and says, okay, I read it again and I love it, but I, I just want to tell you, I, I can't publish this. And I said, I really understand that. And uh, so then three weeks later, he calls again and he said, all right, mm -hmm. we're publishing it. We don't care. We're going to lose our shirt. We don't care. So they published that. And then they, they have gone out on a limb for me so many times. I, I just, I, you know, it's, I told my husband the other day, I just want, this book to succeed just so they make money. I don't care about me anymore. Yeah. I mean, they've been so great. And who, who in their right mind would publish a collection of short fiction from somebody who's not John Grisham. And they did. Uh, they said, let's publish your short stories or some of them. So that became black tie optional. Then they published this workbook, which, you know, nobody, you know, I, again, you know, they said, we love it. We're, we'll do it. And then uh, coming out next week, 
is um, the inevitable past, which I think you and I have talked about before when we, yeah. when I was on your show. We did, and I read it and uh, had something to say about it too. It's a nice, right? You did, nice, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I am. Uh, I mean, again, here we go. So there's a love story. There's a collection of short fiction. There's a writing workbook, and now there's a book with a lot of ghosts in it. So they've been yeah. my champion, and I I, I can't. I'm just delighted by being published by them. Well, let's talk about, uh, before we give them the title again, let's talk about the, or if I, I'm not even sure I gave them the title, I would let you do that. Uh, but uh, the, the cover of the book uh, looks like something I might pick up at the college bookstore. Maybe yes. um, t- tell us, they, they can't see it. Uh, tell them what we're looking at. Um, do you remember those black and white speckled books, lined books that you used to get sometimes? Yeah. You know, that's what it looks like. It looks like a speckled writing book for you and uh again that was kathy's idea which i loved it and so the title of the book is a self-guided workbook and gentle tour on learning how to write stories from start to finish and uh i was with a bunch of the laureates a couple months ago and uh, james maxey asked me he said what's the title of the workbook and i said (laughs) a self-guided workbook blah 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 and he said oh my god if you actually did that you would sell a million copies just call it a self-guided workbook blah 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 (laughs) so anyway that's what it is (laughs) that's good and and, and the other thing that i like about the book there's uh it, it could be you know your middle school companion or your high school or your college companion because it has a space on the front that you can write your name, right? It says name, yeah. blank, write your name. And then when you open the book, you and I talked about this on the podcast, it sort of fits into your philosophy that you use when you go to workshops. You want to tell them about the inside cover and the significance of that? Um, the significance is... Well, look, first I, of all, let's tell them what it says. It says, my name is, and I had to fill, I had to write down Landis Wade, which I did. I'm looking at it right now in my copy of the book, because underneath that, it says what? And I am a writer. <laughs> And I sort of conduct my initial workshops with people almost like an AA meeting. I make everybody say that out loud. Um, And if you say that out loud, it gets more serious and you take yourself seriously. And um, writing is hard work. So let's let's get serious about it. We're going to do this today and we're going to dive into their 19 uh, lessons. They're called lessons in this book. We're not going to cover and there's a postscript as well. We're not covering all 19. We're going to kind of give you uh, some thoughts about uh, 10 of these 19 lessons. Um, and just so you know, each of these lessons, we're not going to be able to do justice to the whole thing because each lesson comes with something in addition to the lesson itself. It includes, uh, Carrie, you want to talk about what happens at the end of each of these lessons? Right. But before I do that, I want to say to the audience that both Landis and I need haircuts for those of you <laughs> out there. Exactly. You can't see us, but we both need haircuts. I, I was looking at that uh, in the mirror this morning. I thought, wow, uh, if I do ever get, I'm, I'm just, I thought I had this thought, I wonder how much hair is going to be in the landfill after <laughs> we <laughs> get back serious. to our, everybody's so, cut, to cut hair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, how I organized the book was to make short chapters, just one sort of succinct concept each time, and then um, a section called Work It Out, where you have four or five different questions or examples where you can work out some of the ideas because it's sort of like a think and do book for those of you who are old enough to remember in school think and do books and then after that there are a series of uh, four or five prompts so that relate to the concept within that chapter so that you can then um Decide. You don't have to do each of those four or five prompts, but you can pick one and just try it out for yourself. You know, just open a few lines using the concept that was in that chapter. And so actually, if you did all of the work it out section and chose one prompt at the end of each chapter and did that for the whole book, um, you pretty much have a skeleton of a book yourself ready to go if you you know were consistent about the storyline as you went through so yeah maybe we'll maybe when we talk about the first lesson we might give some examples of the work it out and the prompts just as a guide for people when we do that and so um but i will say this um you know i got the book i've I've read through it i was making notes in it but i haven't gone back and done all the uh 
props yet in the work at ask because I just want to kind of get a feel for the book. And the, the nice thing about this is that each chapter, each lesson, you know, you've only got three or four pages, but a lot of material, you know, packed into that so that uh, it's not an overwhelming, you know, tome. I mean, you're not, it's not like you got to feel like you've got to read 500 pages to get, uh, you know, these very helpful tips. And so um, it's easy to pick up one evening to maybe just uh, go through two or three lessons, think about them, and then uh, pick a prompt out you like to do. So is that uh, something, Carrie, that you came up with because you, this is a, a way that you like to think about writing or um, have you, is this how you've taught your classes or? It's, I think because I, uh, when I taught the adult education classes at Wake Tech and then when I worked as the Piedmont Laureate, um, you know, I realized it became very clear that, that most people, that few people have the luxury of being a writer eight to five you know, five days a week. It's something that you need to be able to pick up and put down and not punish yourself if you don't mm -hmm. have a day where you're writing. And so I wanted to create a book that didn't feel punishing, that you could um, pick it up. I mean, you actually, like you did, you can read it in a couple nights. You can go through the whole book. And that's probably not a bad way to approach it, is to skim the whole book to get an overall concept of, okay, this is this is where we're going to. Um, right. And then to go back and sort of say, now I'm going to work on this. And the other thing is to use it as a resource. So there's a section in it about how do you use those quotation marks? You know, where do those go? Where does the period go? Where does all that go? Uh, where does the he said, she said go? And does that need to be capitalized? Whatever. So it, it's also, it's not only to be inspire you to, okay, you can do this, but some of the nitty gritty of the mechanics of it. So it can be used as a resource and to answer some of your questions um, as you're writing along and to, to do it. So I kind of saw it as a book that could be used in several different ways. And certainly now it could be an incredible uh, guidebook for parents who are homeschooling kids. You know, there's a huge leap between what is expected of a student in middle school writing-wise and what's expected in high school and then what's expected in college. And I, I think this would be a great resource for somebody to make that leap, to work through some of these chapters and to make that leap from middle school to high school. And so parents who are homeschooling and who are facing, all of a sudden they've had three months of homeschooling and in the fall their homeschool middle schooler is now going to go to high school how do you make that jump you know what do you if you're not an English teacher yourself you know where do you how do you make that jump for them how do you prepare mm -hmm. them to make that jump how do you prepare your high school senior to make that jump to college and I think this would be a great resource book for that and you could kind of sit down and and as a homeschooling teaching parent you could together read through these short chapters puzzle it out together and um, work on it together uh, i mean i think it could be a fun a fun activity so that was my thinking yeah that's that's another another idea there and so i have to tell you carrie i was laughing a little bit when i read the section on quotation marks and i said yeah, that's what I hire a uh, copy editor for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, good luck with that these days, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, it was fun to read. Uh, okay, when you where do you put the question mark? Uh, you know, inside the quotes or outside in particular situations. But uh, okay, so let's let's do this. Um, we're going to start with uh, uh, your lesson one, I, I suppose, for this. Um, you've uh, got a section here on. Uh, you want to give us the title of that uh, lesson? Lesson one is getting down to the emotional truth of the story. So I like to teach that there are two kinds of truths, which there are. One is the actual truth. And I think for you, Landis, having been a lawyer, you know, you're concerned with when, you know, on Tuesday at three o'clock, this happened at four o'clock, this yeah. happened at five o'clock, this happened. Just the, fa just the facts, ma'am. Just, right, just the facts. <laughs> and, um, and that's useful. And that's, yeah. that's legally, that's very useful. Um, but there's <laughs> what writing is about, what fiction is about, and actually what nonfiction about is also about is what is the emotional truth? What is the, um, 
what does it mean for that particular main character and understanding that it's not just about at three o'clock this happened and at four o'clock that happened. And um, so it's, it's about the emotional truth. And the example I use, which is one of my favorite examples in the book is Thanksgiving. You know, we, uh, you know, we have this, I, I often hear this, um, the first book I published was about Alzheimer's and I spent three years traveling all over the country talking about Alzheimer's to doctors and family members and caretakers. And, um, often when I was talking with family members, there would be this argument among the family members. Well, that's not how I remember our childhood. And, and, you know, people have a, an incredible misconception that they all have the same childhood memories. Well, of course they don't, <laughs> you know, even though they're in the same right. family, you right. know, because the, um, they brought a different baggage to each event that, you know, mm -hmm. the second child, the first child, the, the spare child that comes along later, you know, they have a very different position in that family. They have very different members, uh, memories of that family. And that's the emotional truth. It's not that there were three siblings and this happened and that happened and blah, blah, blah. Um, so looking at the emotional truth, you're actually looking at who is that character and what are they bringing to the story and why are they reacting like that? And that's the emotional truth. So the Thanksgiving dinner table is really a fun exercise to think about how everybody who comes in to sit down at that table comes with a different set of expectations than anybody else at the table. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies is National Lampoon. Christmas vacation with Chevy Chase and there's this scene <laughs> where they're eating their Christmas dinner and they they cut into the turkey and it just kind of expands and and it's so dry that they can't even eat it and they're all chewing but everybody around that table has brought something different to that of course there's Clark who wants to have the perfect family Christmas there's his brother Eddie who he, he said he wouldn't be more surprised to see him than if his head was sewed to the ground. You know, it's all these people are bringing all these different things to that. They're the old people who are complaining about their bunions and their, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. So, and I guess bringing that out, uh, it's more than just about what happens at that table. It's about, uh, you know, the, the people that are there and what they bring to it. And so I guess an example of that, I mean, or, or when you're writing about something like that, you can choose to latch on to a particular character at that table and tell their story, right? right. Um, through, through that event. Right. right. And, and it might be some, somebody that's not disclosing something, right. And maybe they've got a serious illness or maybe they've just broken up with their, you know, their boyfriend or their, or, or their girlfriend or their, you know, and, and that's influencing how they're thinking about this whole event that's unfolding in front of them. Right. And then, you know, there you are, you've brought your kids to the table and your oldest daughter has declared she's a vegetarian and she's not eating anything, you know, and um, the youngest son doesn't want to be there at all. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, you could write, uh, you could write a 400 page novel about Thanksgiving dinner and <laughs> not repeat a line, yeah. you know. Yeah, and then somebody mentions politics, and then oh my god! Oh my god! Right. You know, so, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's look at the work it out section on this lesson one. You've got um, so so you say in there, uh, pick an event that happened yesterday. Write a brief nonfiction narrative about that event, starting with what you think happened, just the chronological facts from start to finish. No editorializing. So, what's the purpose there? You're just trying. This is where you're trying just to get the facts. Right. I'm yeah. trying to there. What I'm trying to do is help you understand what the difference is between just the events and the emotional truth. So the first thing is you pick an event that happened and you try to be like a good lawyer or a policeman or whatever and say three o'clock this happened, four o'clock that happened and just, you know, met it out. And then the second work it out is now take the same event and write it as fiction from the point of view of one person involved in the event. Um, and then the most important thing is with that is to understand what happened before that event, which frames how that person reacts to the event, you know? Um, 
And so you have to, what I'm asking people to do is just dig a little deeper. And you'll see that with all of the work it outs. It's like, I'm going to set you up with responding to something. And then each, each success, you know, each next uh, work it out question will take you just a little deeper into that situation. So you begin to learn to be a good writer, digging deeper each time and finding out um, how to make the story come alive, actually. And that's what the, the work it out does is it takes you from here's here's this, the, the story you're trying to tell. But boy, underneath here, here's this other story that the reader needs to feel as much as read if that makes sense to you. you know. So is, is the is the dinner, for example, since we're using that as our example, is it is it sort of like the stage upon which this person is telling their story? Uh, you're, you're sort of in this environment, but yet that's not the story that's really being told. Right, there, there's a, exactly. There's another deeper story that's going on. It just so happens it was a Thanksgiving dinner right. while it's happening. So we're going to be hearing the from the... It's undercurrents. You know, it's yeah. kind of like... <laughs> Uh, another way to think about it, Landis, is why do we read? We read because we're voyeurs. You know, we want to mm-hmm. know what's really going on here. Mm-hmm. And you get very satisfied in reading when all of a sudden you get the inside scoop. So really good stories give you the inside scoop of what's going on. Um, yeah. And so you, you've provided a couple of fun prompts uh, for this lesson one. We're just using these as illustrations. Uh we won't do the same with all the others because you can go into the book and pull them out. But let's just looking at some of these prompts. The first one says you've been invited to your fiance's mother's home for dinner. Your fiance is Jewish. You are not. So immediately what comes to mind to me is, okay, what is my religious background or not? You know, how is that going to intersect with what I'm about to get into? Am I apprehensive? Am I concerned about what's going to happen? You know, so that's one, one thing that, uh, could possibly bring out some emotional truths, maybe in the realm of marriage, religion, interpersonal relationships with family members. Uh, is that the idea? Yes, uh, exactly. Okay. That's exactly it. Yeah. And so, all of a sudden you see, wow, there's a lot to talk about there, you know? Right, right. So what's the other prompt, second prompt here? Uh, your mother has just announced that she thinks your sister is a better cook than you are. <laughs> so therefore, your sister should be the one to host Thanksgiving and not you. Oh, my gosh. So, what, what about all the rep- the repressed uh, memories coming out here, right? Yeah, right. You, yeah. you love my sister better than you love me, you know? I'm just the afterthought. Or, you know, boy, that's a rivalry that's rich with a story. And the other thing is, where does that rivalry take us, you know? What's the background on that rivalry and what what's next? What happens next? Because the mother has announced it. You know, the mother announcing that your sister's a better cook than you are is what a dramatist would say is an inciting incident. I mean, that's yeah, that's a throw that, down the gauntlet. You know, my chocolate cookies are better than yours. You know, that, um, that is. And this, this next one, number three, your uncle has had too much to drink. I mean, right away you're thinking, OK, that's going to bring up a bunch of drinking stories and things from the pet, maybe some tragedy, maybe some humor, you know, um, all coming in from family secrets. Yeah. And then the fourth one, what's the fourth one there? The dinner guests are sitting down waiting for you to serve dinner. You are postponing carving the turkey because your spouse has not come home yet. Once again, (laughs) (laughs) once again, you know, and so that's, that's an explosion about to happen. And it's going yeah. to play out in iciness, in harsh words, in right. people at the table, like going, what's going on here? Um, you know, they're fun. Mm. Okay, so that's a great example of, of you know, sort of the uh, working out the ideas that you got in the, in the lesson one and then some prompts that would go with it. So let's uh, let's go through uh, some more of the lessons here. Uh, you're, you've chosen lesson two to talk about. Lesson two is about um, short stories and building good characters. And um, what's important about that is that short stories are more about the ordinary than they are the extraordinary. And so learning to write a good short story forces you to understand how all of our lives 
turn on a simple event, you know, how you met your wife, how you made a decision, you know, decisions get turned on or off by very ordinary circumstances. And the, you know, most beginning writers want to approach writing an extraordinary book, you know, uh, that is, you know, world peace. Um, And, but really what we're interested in, what makes a good story is the ordinary understanding where, you know, if you write something that is human scale, then you have an opportunity to put yourself into it. You know, you have an opportunity to say, how would I have reacted to this? That's a really good character, a good character that becomes empathetic, where you can sort of want to put yourself and say, would I have done the same thing that Liza did? Would I have done, would I have handled that the way Landis handled it? You know, would I have been the mother who said your sister was a better cook? And so, you know, a, a good story with a good character that allows the reader into the character, that's a great story. When you, that's a satisfying read. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of authors. Of course, um, I've actually interviewed 117 authors for the first 100 episodes and uh, I've already interviewed 23 more for upcoming seasons. So I've, I've heard authors talk a lot about their writing. And one of the themes that comes through in that for me is hearing them talk about characters and how um, stories that are character driven uh, often um, allow the reader to better understand the circumstances and the universe and want to be connected and involved and cheering for and pulling for or worrying about this particular character as they go through and, and also trying to understand the world around them through that character. Because without a good character to guide the story, I've heard many authors say there is no story. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And if yeah. your if your main character is perfect, there is no story. You right. know, they have to they have, they have to change. And so I, I know that in talking to novelists and, and you've written novels too, um, there's this character arc. And so yeah. they might start out in one place and then at the end of the novel, if you've done your work, they've changed in some respect or something's happened to give them a realization. But in a short story, um is it true there too that there's yes. got to be a change? Has, in a short story, there's you know you have the same story arc, but the pinnacle of the story arc is I mean you're missing my beautiful hand illustrations here. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> at the at the yeah. pinnacle of the the rise in action at the story arc, there has to be that moment in which in a short story in which something happens or something is said that the main character has a realization about the world that's different. They understand the world differently and they understand themselves differently. And after that, you should, you're not going to see so much how they change. You should internally understand that that person is now changed. That's what makes a short story hard is because you don't have all that space. You don't right. have all that yeah. chance to say, now watch what he's going to do or now watch what she's going to do. You're just going to see that moment of clarity. Um, I think that the story that everyone says, oh, that was it. That's the easiest in the um, black tie optional book is the story black tie optional where the main character has that moment where she decides that she's going to be the champion for that little boy who's annoyed her all her life. And yeah, it's, that- a, it's, it's a great, it's a great story. And we actually featured it uh, on the podcast. So listeners, if you missed that one, go back and listen to Carrie uh, on the, on the main podcast uh, in that show, reading black option. And you'll see the transition from this woman who, ha- who wants nothing to do with this little boy. who's an annoyance because little boy talks uh, he takes up all the space in the room when he talks. He's got kind of ADD or something, and he's just talking, talking, talking. But then she changes because as she listens to him, she understands him better, and she sort of comes to his aid in the end. Right? Yeah. And yeah. see, that's yeah. you know, that's that turning point. You don't need to. I don't need to tell you anymore because you know that her relationship with that little boy has changed, and she has yeah. changed. So it's the same thing. It's just a. Uh, brought down to a very bullion kind of situation. So when you write a short story, does the character come first or the idea for the story come first? 
uh, depending upon the day. Uh, but I, <laughs> but I, I'm definitely a, a character-driven writer. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what it interests me. People interest me. Um, and uh, sometimes I have an idea for a story, and then I search around for who would do this. Who, where's the character? You know, what character would be involved in this? Who would mm. who would be the one? So it's interesting, Carrie, that you mentioned uh, that there are a couple of ways that you get into it because in your in your lesson here, you say that some people start with an idea for a story and they create a character to play out the idea. Others start with a situation and then they find you know the character to play it. And you use Stephen King as an example. He, he's the guy who who comes up with this terrible situation. You know, there's the the, the dog outside the car. Who's going to be in the car and try to get out? Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Cujo or or whatever. You know, somebody's haunting this place. Who's, how are they going to get out of it? So, yeah, I, I think getting into it one way or the other, uh, maybe not uh, whatever you like, but again, you're going to have to pick that character that somebody can connect to. So I guess as a writer, you connect to him first and then feel that person's energy and put it on the page. And hopefully the, the reader will connect with them as well. Yeah. All right. So number three, we're going to be, uh, the third lesson here is actually lesson number three, good and evil. Okay, good. Good and evil. So there's always a tension between good and evil and that it's that tension that drives a story forward. Dan Brown understood that um, when he, you know, the, you know, his, all of his books have to do with that really uh, visceral tension between what is good, the good angels and the evil part of, of the world. And it's a lot of people think, oh, I need a car chase. Um, that, that'll drive my story forward. But it's not that. It's the tension between good and evil that drives the story. That's what makes the story. You know, it's like Star Wars. I mean, why, oh, why, oh, why mm -hmm. do we, were we so fascinated in Star Wars? Well, because the, <laughs> the whole series, the whole multiplex series is all about well, who's going to win, good or evil? It's all about good and evil. It's always about the battle between good and evil. And on a, a lesser level than Star Wars, um, you know, that's every day, isn't it? You know, where it's all about good and evil. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you talk about in this uh, lesson, which I thought was interesting, how opposites attract um, and that uh, – and that they create conflict in the heart of any good story, according to, to most writers, is conflict, right? You got to have conflict yeah. for the story uh, to have something, spark that inciting incident presumably is going to involve some conflict. And then you, you mentioned pairs of conflicts like life and death, love and hate, rich and poor, angels and devils, uh, to the Dan Brown comment. Uh, and then, uh, so it's about sort of finding um, those opposites, putting them in the same room together creating that energy level, that conflict to kind of move the story along? Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's always these dichotomies. And, you know, if you have an angel, you've got to have a devil. You know, if you have a devil, you have to have an angel. You know, if you have good, if you have this force of good, there has to be this force of evil. Or maybe evil is too strong of a word. Maybe a force of not so good. Um, and, you know, they're they're always coming to head each other. And so also, Carrie, you said that uh, in this lesson, the good stories uh, come from things going a bit unexpectedly sideways. That's where you develop the plot twists, the things that shift and change. Uh, yeah. And maybe kind of these reversals that turn the story back. Uh, so I think it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that for the first three, we've got, uh, you know, getting to the emotional truth, you know, building characters and then now throwing in the good and the evil. Um, Lesson four uh, kind of is sort of what we were talking about a little bit. Uh, it's no problem, no story. That's uh, it could be no conflict, no story, but but a problem is more of a okay. Here's an obstacle. Here's an issue. Here's something we got to solve uh, to make the story engaging. Is that where we're going with this this lesson? Yes, right. There has to be a problem. There has to be something that needs to be solved. That needs to be fixed. Um, and there also has to be, the character has to want something. Your main character has to want and or need something. Um, you know, all of the 
contagion kind of stories that everybody is now watching. You know, what do we need? We need an anecdote. We need a, a way to, to solve that. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of movies out there about looking for the cure for a sick child. You know, there's a problem and that's very apparent in the story. And the whole story revolves around trying to find the way to help that child, the trying to find the anecdote, the vaccine, the whatever, uh, trying to fix something, mm. you know? Yeah. And, and the problem usually shows up on page one in mysteries because you got a, a body and you got to solve the murder in a, in a thriller. You're sort of chasing the problem throughout the book. Exactly. <laughs> in, right. in an essay, in an essay, you're presenting a problem and you're trying to dissect it and bring meaning to it. Uh, no problem, no story. All right, number five, we've got, uh, we're skipping ahead to lesson 11. Uh, we've talked about characters. We haven't talked about uh, types of characters and what the characters need to bring to the equation for the story to be good. So for any story to be good, um, the character has to have both strengths and weaknesses. They have to have a flaw because the flaw is what gets them into trouble. And they have to have a strength because that's what we hope will get them out of trouble. And uh, we, you know, we all have flaws and weaknesses. I always tell people, I'll never, you know, they say, is this you in this story? Is this you? And I say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm never going to be a character in any of my stories because I would paint myself as taller, thinner, more beautiful right, right, and right. Uh, more talented. And yeah. I would be flawless. And, uh, you know, I, that wouldn't work, you know, but outside of myself, I can create a character with lots of flaws and the flaw starts the story. That's so, interesting. The flaw starts the story. Yeah. yeah. And the strength in the story. So a lot of times in a novel, you know, you have this sort of cast of characters and the, the strengths and weaknesses of the various cast members help, um, drive the story and help the characters help each other. Cause what one, one character's flaws, another's strength. And so they sort of come together right. to persevere in a short story. You don't have quite as much space to, to deal with. So how many characters is too many characters in a short story? Uh, um, that's an easy question, actually. Yeah. Uh, okay. Any character who doesn't move the story forward shouldn't be there. And that's true, whether it's a short story or a novel. And you were talking about the other characters who, um, you know, sort of become the strengths to the main character's flaw. Those are called supporting characters. They mm -hmm. can support the main character and they can help them to discover their better self by the end of the story. Yeah. That, uh, okay, so um, everybody's got flaws. Uh, you got to have them to, uh, so that, and, and I suppose that's part of uh, real life because there aren't any perfect people out there, right? Thank so. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be Thank boring? Goodness. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you, you, you add all this uh, conflict, you add the flaws, you add these obstacles and with the flaws and the obstacles and a character that you like, that's when as a reader, you begin to get a little nervous and worry about this particular person. And that's when you've got them, right? Right. That's, exactly. Yeah. They're hooked. Okay. And they're hooked because they see themselves. What if, what if I were in that situation? And that takes us to lesson 10. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about this topic because, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion out there about outlining or how you go about coming up with stories. Tell us about uh, Lesson 10. Lesson 10 is you need to throw in a what if. You need to give them a curveball. There needs to be, uh, as you get into the story, there needs to be another problem to solve. There needs to be something else that's going to come up. Um, because you're only going to keep your reader for a few pages if you're beating the same drum. And each what if takes us deeper into that main character and lets us see another layer of that main character and makes it more interesting. All of a sudden, the character is multidimensional instead of one-dimensional, and that's interesting. Um, the, the other thing is, I, I don't know about you, but right now it's like, what if? You know, we're we're all living in a world of what if this happens? Um, who would have ever thought that we would be 
uh, in this situation that we're in now where we're being quarantined. Uh, I mean, that was just unimaginable six months ago. Uh, you know, nobody would have ever said, oh, be careful this spring because we're all going to be sitting in our homes. So get your projects right. together and make sure you've got yeast and flour so you can bake bread and enough toilet paper. I mean, you know, what if, what if a pandemic strikes? And, you know, if you just go online and say movies about pandemics, you're going to see 300 titles because that's an interesting what if, what if. But now we're living that what if. And there'll be other what ifs, you know. Um, and that what if gives the reader an opportunity to think, hmm, I wonder what I would do if this happened. And again, mm. You've hooked them a second time. You've taken them to page 200 as opposed to just having them read the first five chapters and go, I'm done. Yeah. And so you say that um, not that you've trashed the concept of creating a tight, concise outline for your story slash novel. Um, you're talking about a different type of outlining technique in this lesson, uh, which you say gives a little more creative elbow room and helps you write you know, successful and compelling stories. So you're saying, ask these what if questions. Um, I've often thought about whether writing short stories lends itself well to outlining because for a novel, while you might need an outline, at least some sketch of an outline, figure out where you're going. You're not going to stay to it entirely because you're going to hope that your creative juices will take you to new places as you go along. But in a short story, I don't know for you, but for me, it's been fun just to kind of sit down with an idea and a character and then see where it takes me and then go back and try to fix it right. after I've written for a little while. Right. Is that kind of the way you approach it? Absolutely. And actually, I try to help people understand that they really won't know what their story is, whether it's a short story or a novel or a novella, until they write the last sentence. And once they write the last sentence, they'll understand where the story was going from the get-go. And so then at that point, that's when you start editing. And of course, nobody wants to know that that editing process is almost a longer process than the first laying it down process is. But, you know, you really don't know where you're going till you get there, do you? I guess we're not all as smart as John Gresham because he says he knows... Uh... He's he a plot-driven guy, yeah. yeah. He says he knows when he writes the first word what the last word at the end of the novel is going to be. So that's, you know. God bless you him. Can do that. I never know right. that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, number seven, uh, which is our lesson 13, it's uh, getting to know your characters. Talk about that, uh, getting to know your characters. That is the most important thing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I talk about being a character-driven writer. I try to encourage people to be a character-driven writer because I think that's, although I think it's wonderful that John Grisham, and I read John Grisham. I enjoy right. them, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, not bashing John Grisham for sure. Um, and they're great. They're fun. You know, it's like, it's a great airplane read, you know, right. but uh, I, I think that the fun of writing is the discovery of what if and the character and how things develop. And so before you start off, you really have to know who your main character, unless you want to like wallow in it for a long time. If you spend the time really outlining who your main character is, and again, I use that bad word outlining, if you flesh out who mm -hmm. your main character is and why, you know, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are and why, your story is self-propelled after that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that chapter comes from the this writing thing where it says you could write a novel from start to finish in 30 days or something. Um, <laughs> and in the first 15 days, you do nothing but think about your main character. And that's true. And you should spend more time thinking about your main character. I often tell people, if you don't hear voices in your head, if, you, if you're not hearing voices, Find another profession. You know, writers hear their characters in their heads. They hear them talk. And, mm -hmm. you know, I may be pushing my cart down the grocery aisle. I'm listening to my characters say, I really don't like frozen peas, you know, so don't buy those. Whatever. Um, it, it, getting to know your characters. 
I always, and people laugh at first, you know, I always say the most important thing you can do for your main character and your supporting characters, because your supporting characters will go through the story with your main character to support them. They're, they're the one who keeps them on the right track or gets them off the track. You, you know, you can have both kinds of characters who are supporting characters that are moving the story forward. Give them yeah, all birthdays, you, just... you know? Yeah, if you give your main character a birthday, you know how old they are at different points in the story and what's going on. And you don't have to scramble for that. So I just always give them a birthday. I give every all my characters. I know what year they're born. And so therefore, as the story progresses over two, three hundred pages, I know how old they should be. It, you know, if we advance 10 years or 15 years or 12 years or whatever. And that's important because we're different people at different ages. Yeah. And, and what you just said, uh, you know, reminds me of the uh, conversation I had with Craig Johnson uh, for our 100th episode, which is on April 28th. And he talked about uh, characters, his main character is Walt Longmire for the Longmire series. And I asked him, do you ever find yourself, doing WWWD, what would Walt do? Because uh, he's so invested in this particular character. Right. And he said, yeah, he said, he's not Walt. He's not, uh, you know, his wife says that he's, you know, he wants to be Walt, but he's about 10 years behind. You know, Walt's better looking, he's smarter, whatever. Taller, richer, better, better looking, all that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, if you, if you are invested in your characters, you know, uh, a lot about them, then it'll just naturally, uh, infuse itself into the work. And he also said this trick I thought was interesting. He says, if you write in seasons, your characters can live a long time. You know, right. you write, uh, you might age four years writing four books, but your characters only aged a year because you've covered all the seasons right. <laughs> of the right. year of the, of the year. So uh, anyway, I think that's, it's good to, to get to know your characters. I suppose writing short stories though, Carrie, you have to learn different characters each time you pick up the, pen or pencil or the keyboard and uh, right and you know um people make the mistake to think that uh, short stories are written in a short amount of time um no, i can no. tell you how long it takes me uh i think yeah searching for clint eastwood took me two years you know because wow. I, I i didn't really know where that story was going and you know each time i picked up a character each time something you know it was just whoa and then I had to go back and say, okay, you know, I've got to set this up on the first page. This has to be set up on the first page and then let me move forward. But it took me a long time to make all those pieces of that longer short story work. And um, so it's a rare thing when a short story gets done in less mm -hmm. than a couple of weeks for me of really concentrated work. All right, we're gonna we got a little time left. We're gonna do three more. Uh, point of view. Uh, this is our lesson. Uh, this is our eighth point for today. It's actually lesson fourteen in your book. A uh, lot of choices to make in point of view. This is not going to be a whole lesson on point of view, but just give us some highlights of of this particular chapter. I suppose first of all, you got to make a choice. Right. So whose point of view is, does the story come from? And are you going to write first person or second person or what kind of narration you're going to use in your story? Uh, the other thing that is really fun to think about in point of view is let's say that you choose your the main character. It's going to be um, a first person narration by the main character. The most interesting choice is, is that main character reliable? Or is he or she not reliable? And that really changes how the story develops. And I, I think the unreliable narrator is one I haven't used, but one that fascinates me, and I hope mm -hmm. to use it at some point. Um, but, you know, and when you, you know, I wrote um, Lillian's Garden. I actually wrote it three times because when I sat down to write that book, I thought it was the daughter's story. And so I initially wrote it from the daughter's point of view. And when I got to the end of the story, the daughter is a teenager. She's 15, 16 years old in the story. And when I got to the end of the story, I realized that the daughter wasn't mature enough to understand everything that happened in the story. And so her narration about the story was not only not reliable, but 
didn't go below the surface of the story. So then I wrote it uh, in a different point of view. And eventually I realized that it was the mother's story. And when I wrote it from the mother's point of view, the book came alive. But that mm. was four years into the story. Uh, you mentioned an unreliable narrator. You give an example in the book, Holden Caulfield. Caulfield from, yeah, from Catcher in the Rye is a good example of the unreliable narrator. And, uh, you know, first person, of course, uh, gets... Uh, where you're always in the head uh, of the of the main character, you've got to use some techniques uh, there because uh, you can only convey what that character knows, and you have to use dialogue and you know setting and other things to help the reader understand you know w- what these other characters are bringing to the story. Whereas in point of view, where you could choose, I suppose, to be in that head of one person, you can shift and you can get in the head of the evildoer, the head of the grocery store clerk, or whatever you decide to do that's uh, important to the story. So um, do you decide that point of view? Um, From the beginning? Yeah. Or do you sometimes shift? Uh, do you think, oh, wait a minute, I think this would be told better if I did it in a different point of view after you've written a draft? Oh, I, I, I most definitely shift. Um, because yeah. I, what, my, what my goal always is, is to dig a little deeper. Mm-hmm. to you know really get down to the most interesting things that are going on and so um you know it's it's tricky to change point of views you have to it's a, a a housekeeping problem in terms of you know shifting chapters so that the reader sure. knows where we are whose head we're in and it, i mean it can be done but it's it's a lot of work now i i think that in a short story, it's more likely that I, from the you know from the first page, from the beginning, know whose point of view I want to go for, and it's it's more of a, a first person narrative or just a singular point of view from the main character. Yeah, I think, uh, and I've learned this from critiques. I think uh, you know, when I wrote my books, I did have a shifting, you know third person close point of view where I could get into different hit characters heads that I thought were important to tell in the story. But in short stories when I've tried that, it felt too abrupt sometimes and you sometimes lose the, it'd be sometimes better just to stay with one narrator, you know, through the, through the short right, story. Right. Yeah. So, you know, because you, what you're doing is you're, you're developing the main character, but you're also developing the story, the storyline. And, right. um, you know, it's a more constrained type of writing I okay like two, two two points left we got uh lesson eight which is our ninth point here today it's promises to keep uh and then we're going to get to when does the story end but let's start with promises to keep what are we talking about there that first page that everybody wants really to give you the backstory you know uh no on that first page <laughs> you need to pro- yeah. what you're telling me on that first page is what the whole book is going to be about and my favorite example is Isaac Dennison's Out of Africa the first line is i had a farm in africa that few words sums up the entire book that's the promise of the entire book that you are going to learn about her and this farm that she both had and lost in africa the whole book is there. That's it. That's the promise. She didn't. She didn't start with telling you the backstory and how she got a farm and all that kind of thing. She says she had a farm. Yeah, and that is sometimes you know when you're writing into something. Sometimes I, I do find that you might get a little too much background in the story, and then you have to cut it and just get rid of all that and start where the story right. is supposed to start. Right. Yeah. Um, I had a very. I had many very good writing mentors early on in college and whatever. And one of my professors said, um, you know, the first you sit down to write a story and actually you sit down to write a nonfiction story. You sit down to write a fictional story, whatever you're doing, you sit down and you start writing. And he said the first five pages, he considers what he calls, excuse my French crap writing. He said, write those five pages (laughs) and then throw them away because now you're ready right. to write the story. And I often find that that's so very true. You know, when I start with a story that I'm not sure where it's going, I start writing, 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 writing. And then all of a sudden I go, oh, that's where I'm going. And I'd get rid of everything else. You know, that delete button is magical. 
and we don't mm-hmm. use it often enough. You know, True people that. are like, oh my gosh, I spent weeks on, I don't want to get rid of that. I spent weeks writing those first five pages and I'm like, sorry, you know, and, uh, yeah. get rid of them. Let's start. Where, where does it lift off the page? Where does the story come alive? And that's what you're looking for. Yeah. And we've got another um, <clears throat> Patreon release this month. Um, Nicole Ayers, who's been editing for years, she and I talked about the process of editing and this whole idea came up that we're talking about right now, which is cutting things out because that's what a good editor <laughs> right. will help help you do. And I remember um, my editor, my book, Nora Gaskin, she's a, a great editor. And she was, uh, there was this one chapter early in the book. She says, we don't need that. And I'd written this great scene about this big event on the mall at, at, in Washington, DC. And she said, look, that can, that can happen in a conversation between the judge and the, and the girl who was there. You need to move the story along. That was just kind of an interruption of the flow of the story. And she was right. It didn't need to be there. It was fun to write. It was fun to put them in that setting, but it didn't move the real story along. So, but you, know, you learn like, oh, something from, but the point is <laughs> you learn something from mm-hmm. writing that and you learned right. what you were going to have to put in the conversation. And, you know, That's I don't true. consider anything I delete as a waste of time that got me to where I needed to be. But, right. you yeah. know, I, I, I sort of, subscribe to the slash and burn kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> well, editing. Okay. I'm not going to not let you too close to my manuscripts. No, I'm, then, you know, so. <laughs> I'm brutal. I really am. And I'm brutal yeah. for my own work. You know, it's, I go yeah. through and I'm like, you know, out it goes. I know. I know. So, okay. Well, last point here. Uh, and of course we've only covered uh, 10 of the 19 and we've got the, the conclusion, some other thing here too. So, uh, listeners, you ought to pick this book up and check it out. It's a great resource. Uh, I'm going to go back to it myself, but we're going to talk about uh, lesson 18, which is the 10th point today, which is something I often think about when I'm writing because in the books I was writing, I think I had a better notion of where the story was supposed to end. There was a long, you know, there was an arc. I had a thing that was coming to a head. There was a client, you know, sometimes in short stories, I'm not exactly sure where it ends. Sometimes it's happened serendipitously. I said, yep, that's it. That's where it should stop. And those stories have gotten better play and feedback than others. But I think sometimes it's often hard to figure out where to stop your story. Um, and this is, so it's a great topic. Tell us, tell us the secret, Carrie. Tell us the secret. So my <laughs> secret is yeah. that the story ends when you fulfilled the promise of the first page. And I ask people to uh, ask students to go to a bookstore or a library and to pull off of the shelf 10 books that they liked, or even look in your home library and say, these were my 10 favorite books. And I can pretty much guarantee you that if you look at your 10 favorite books that you've saved over time for whatever reason, that and you read the first page and you read the last page, it brings it together. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's that's, it, there's a, a sense of closure and satisfaction. It's like the promises are fulfilled in that last page. And the first and the last page really have to mesh. And um, have you ever read a book and you got to the end of it and you thought, oh my, if yeah. you want to throw the book across the room, that's right. because the first and the last page do not come together. They do not, the, the questions are not answered. The development isn't there. The promise of the first page isn't fulfilled. And that's a bad book, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and it's that, okay. it's, you know, understanding what you've promised a reader and doing it. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is all great stuff. And I'm looking at the table of contents, the, you know, the things that we did not talk about, we didn't talk about uh, uh, beyond the plot, the story arc, bad first drafts, editing boot camp, uh, outlining or not outlining, creative characters and helping them thrive. Just the list goes on. Provoking imagination, dialogue, quotation marks, submissions and rejections. That's a topic worth taking a look at if you're going to be a writer because you want to <laughs> know how to get your work <laughs> into the world. Uh, and then you've got uh, art as an act of memory at the end, all good stuff. Where can people uh, find this book, Carrie? Um, it's available at bookstores. If you happen to live in Raleigh, it's available at Quail Ridge Books right now. Um, you can. It's distributed by Ingram, 
Uh, so it's available. You can call any bookstore and get it. I prefer that you call an independent bookstore. Right. They'll have exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, we got and, uh, Park Road Books as our sponsor here for Charlotte's podcast. So give Park Road Books a call if you're uh, local here. And if you're somewhere else, uh, go to your local bookstore and Davidson Main Street Books uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, that's great. It's uh, And, you know, you're going to write your name in it and you're going to write... Uh, in the very front, my name is, and I'm a writer. <laughs> right. Um, and I think uh, that, Carrie, Landis, yeah. I, I think most uh, independent bookstores right now are providing free or very inexpensive shipping. So, you know, you can shop. If you like shopping online, shop online with an independent bookstore. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can go to their websites or go pick up the phone and call them, and they'll They'll get the books out to you. It's a great way to escape uh, during this time. If you're a writer, this is a great way to work on your craft. So, Carrie, thanks so much for spending this time with us uh, to provide this great content for our for our member supporters. Thank you. I loved being here. <laughs> <laughs>